Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. It's Wednesday, May 12th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Chris Hummer, pitch hitting today for Trey Scott. We're going to discuss something that seemingly everyone has an opinion on in college football, playoff expansion. There's a legitimate news hook here, by the way. A few weeks ago, buried 16 paragraphs deep within a press release from the college football playoff. There was a public admission that the playoff is exploring potential expansion scenarios from the current four-team format. This includes six teams, eight teams, 10 teams, 12 teams, and even 16 teams. There's a lot to discuss when it comes to potential playoff structure and a change of that magnitude. So in order to shed some light on the subject, we're turning to National College Football writer Brandon Marcello, who covered the topic in depth recently. Brandon, before we dive into the specifics of some of the scenarios you laid out in your article. Can you shed some light on what's happening with the college football playoff committee right now in a timeline, if there is one, for potential expansion? Yeah, you know what's crazy? You mentioned the 16th paragraph, the 17th paragraph. No one knows this, but it, it mentioned that a comet was heading toward Earth. <laughs> <laughs> that was so ridiculous. But anyway, yeah, we're getting into actually a kind of a crucial moment of time here coming up in June. The, the, the working group which consists of Bob Bowlesby, the Big 12 commissioner, and SEC commissioner Greg Sankey, among others. They're kind of trying to whittle down these 63 possibilities that was mentioned in that press release of, of expansion, anywhere from 6 to 16 teams. And it's possible, not necessarily likely, but possible that June 22nd, the working group could approach the board of managers and say, hey, we've kind of whittled this down to some of our best options based off of our own research. And... You guys can decide whether we need to vote on it, pass it up the the chain, uh, the hierarchy, so to speak, in the college football playoff, and maybe push this thing so forward that maybe as early this fall, there is a final decision reached. Now, of course, there's a bunch of uh, logistics involved in this. Primarily, one, getting everybody on board. It has to be unanimous. But secondly, ESPN, which owns the current TV contract for another five years, they've got to get them on board as well. So there's a lot of, I guess, I would say pre-work to be done before they actually get to work on this. But uh, make no mistake, these conversations have been happening for the better part of the last two years. And I think they're finally prepared enough to a point to one, finally admit it in a press release that they're talking about expansion, but secondly, actually to start moving forward and potentially make some decisions and, and we'll at least start that decision-making process. I think uh, an important thing to note is TV makes the world go round in this marketplace uh, with kind of television rights. And I feel like anytime I've ever had a discussion with somebody and they're trying to brush aside the possibility of expansion, they mention that contract, which I believe expires in 2026. So if the college football playoff committee did decide to go forward with expansion, how do they kind of get around that date and that contract, which is, as I understand, pretty ironclad with ESPN and potentially expand early? Yeah, you know, this is a situation as much as we talk about, as you said, that this deal being ironclad and can't really be reopened. If everybody acts in good faith and they want to come to the table, they'll come to the table and rework that deal or just throw it completely out and start up a new one. But it's such a complex deal and there's others involved. It isn't just as simple as like, hey, you're getting more games. Here you go. Well, ESPN's got to pay more for those games. And the one estimate was that if they were to expand to, say, an 18 playoff, 
They would double the field. They would probably have to pay anywhere between $400 and $500 million extra per year. And remember, this is a 12-year, $7.2 billion TV contract that deals that's just for four games. So you're talking about doubling it, but also doubling the price and probably even more, to be quite honest, if this thing goes to something larger than eight teams, which we can talk about later. And, you know, the question is, is why wouldn't ESPN be willing to pay that? Well, they would most likely be like, hey, let's let's go ahead and do this and let's pay it. But it's about timing. You know, why can't we wait two, three more years before we do this and reopen things? We're making good money on this already. The ratings are fine with us. We can hold out with this for another three or four years, or maybe even to the end of the contract in 2026. And let's just wait until then to have this finalized. But I think there is some push there when it comes to the TV side, where I wouldn't say it's panic, but they understand that ratings have kind of plateaued. They flatlined a little bit, even though they're still high, because what drives these prices isn't necessarily the diehard fan turning on the television to watch college football in the playoff. It's the casual viewers, you know, the people who only watch the national championship game or the playoff and no other football, college football games that year because it's an event. Well, they're turning on the TV every January and they're seeing the same teams over and over again. And they're seeing the same teams win the national championship game year after year. And so in a lot of ways, I guess to put this simply, they're watching reruns. You know, when they're expecting new programming every January. And so that number is kind of plateaued and also it's dropping a little bit. Now, this pandemic year we've had, the ratings were down for the college football playoff national championship, partially because of the pandemic. Other people had stuff to worry about, but also it was a blowout and Alabama won a national championship one again. So if you're a TV executive, you're trying to balance those two things of, you know, are people really getting tired of this? Have we reached our full potential already and our money-making potential for this? And if so, is expansion the right answer so we can make more money as ESPN to advertisers and ultimately to cable providers and charging cable providers to carry the ESPN family of networks? So those are things that ESPN's got to research and talk with their you know lawyers and everything before they even contemplate opening up talks and acting in good faith to maybe reevaluate this contract. It's a very complicated matter. And one, by the way, ESPN behind closed doors, that stuff's just not going to leak at that point about them looking through things and doing their due diligence. You won't hear anything from the ESPN side or even th things from sources of, for that matter until they actually start working on that contract most likely. So uh, it, we could be a little ways off before we actually hear something about ESPN being willing to, to you know restructure that deal. Yeah, it's all about those right fees at the end of the day. And if ESPN feels like it can make more money from cable providers, as you said, like I think that is the onus on expansion. And um, before moving on to the actual scenarios, you mentioned kind of reaching other markets and teams getting and fans maybe getting bored of the same rerun. I think it's important to note something you had in your article. Of the 28 bids, the first seven years of the 14 playoff, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Notre Dame make up the large majority of those. Only one of those schools, Oklahoma, is west of the Mississippi. So if you potentially open things up in the college football playoff, you bring in those West Coast markets again, potentially. You bring in some of the schools in the Big 12. You bring in some of the schools in the Big 10 that are maybe outside of the traditional kind of East Coast areas. So it's a, it's a really compelling conversation. And I guess moving on to the actual scenarios that you laid out in your article, what you did was look at 60 16, 12, 10, 8, and 6 to see what would work best and what wouldn't work. 
at the top, Brandon, do you feel like there's a couple scenarios talking to people you know around the country that just kind of seem like non-starters from the beginning? You know, I think the 16 team is just way too too much too early. Now, that's not to say these people are sitting there going, oh, 16 teams, maybe we'll get there one day. We'll talk expansion upon the expansion in maybe 10 years. The really the talk among the the decision makers, or I should say the people with some voices in the voting process for this, the college football playoff, is they they don't want to do expansion for expansion's sake to the point where we just go, all right, we expanded to six or eight teams are you guys happy now? And then they open themselves up for criticism and 10 years down the road, they go, oh, that six team playoff field isn't quite working out the way we wanted to. So let's, let's expand it again. They're looking at something where they're going to go maybe a half step further than the step that everybody's expecting them to take based off what I'm hearing. And so that would mean probably a 10 or 12 team playoff. Not to say that the A-team idea has been completely phased out, but I I believe from the conversations I've had that it is unlikely we see a 16-team or a 16-team field, and it's probably going to be an 8, 10, or 12, but more likely a 10 or 12-team format. I think that makes sense. When you think about a 16-team format, there's the possibility, let's say you include all the conference champions that you have a ball state in the playoffs and like no offense to ball state as a program but that would be a buy for whoever right. uh, was the number one seed there that's just like a game i don't think people are particularly interested in and if you go down to six which is a format i've been a fan of for a long time i really think you should reward the regular season and that teams in the one and two spots should be rewarded with the buy that does just bring up the inevitable scenario that six is not expanded enough and you will have scenarios where the seventh and eighth teams are left out and they're pissed off and you're still going to have seasons that you're going to have entire leagues left out of the playoffs if you go the out at large berth so it makes sense to kind of set those aside so let's um take a minute and look at the eight the ten and the twelve team scenarios um brandon starting with the eight you lay out two different scenarios, worst and best. What scenario with an 18 playoff do you think works best in terms of who will be included? Yeah, I think what makes sense here in, in the discussions that uh, I've had is that the idea is we have to do a playoff format where we give automatic berths to every Power 5 champion and we guarantee also at least one spot for the top-rated group of five champions. So if you take this past season, for example, if you're looking at an 18 playoff, you would take the five power five champions, including Oregon out West and in a weird year for the PAC 12, obviously because of scheduling the COVID-19 pandemic, but you would also reward Cincinnati uh, in the playoff. And because of the rankings, the rankings would be very important here because one, you need to select two at large teams, but also in this situation, Cincinnati wouldn't be the eighth team in the playoff. They would actually be the seventh team in the playoff because Oregon, the Pac-12 champion, is rated lower than Cincinnati in the college football playoff rankings. So you're not necessarily just going, let's throw a group of five champion in there, and they're almost always going to be the eighth seed in an 18 playoff. So that's the big driving point of this. It's not necessarily getting all the power five champions in. It's getting the top group of five champion in, but also making sure that you're not just, I guess, copy and pasting them in there on the eight seed line every year. It's going to be very important for the rankings. And while Cincinnati is the highest ranked group of five team in the college football playoff era rankings at the end of the season at number eight, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be eighth because as I said, Oregon was not in the top 15 or even the top 20. And even though they won their conference in the PAC 12, their ranking was lower than Cincinnati. So Cincinnati's rewarded for that and gets to be bumped up. So 
this allows some movement to be made when you include a group of five champion by going to at least eight teams. I'm personally a fan. I've never really been a proponent of the eight team scenario because as I said before, I'd like the one and two seats to be rewarded. But if you look at 2019, which I think is a more reflective season of how rankings would work in general, you would have all the teams you expect. You'd have LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, Oregon as your champions. You would have Georgia and Baylor in the playoffs as at larges. What the team you would leave out in that scenario is Wisconsin at 10 and three. And I would strongly argue that a three loss team does not really have much of a beef in order to get in the playoff. If you have that happen, they would be replaced in that scenario by Memphis at 12 and one overall. That Memphis team in 2019 wasn't as good as some of the group of five champions we've seen recently, at least among the kind of top half. But I think it's compelling to have that element there. And it's kind of a carrot to give those group of five programs to push forward. Yeah, I'm with you there because obviously, as you mentioned, I don't know if any three loss team, as you said, belongs in there, even if they had the toughest schedule in the entire country. You've, you had 13 opportunities and you lost three of those games. I, I just don't see that. And I know a lot of people are going to be sitting out there, the cynics are going to be going, we'll expand the playoff. We're just going to have more two and three loss teams. Not necessarily. This is an opportunity for those group of five teams, if they're rated high enough and, and others in the at-large field to be able to be rewarded for having one or two losses. For example, this past season in 2020 with Texas A&M, which their only loss was to Alabama, 52-24, to 24, but they really had no shot at making the playoff because they play in the same division in the SEC as Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think... I think an eight-team playoff and the other two kind of brackets that we're going to talk about in a second also give opportunities to teams that maybe got hot at the end of the season that we haven't seen have a chance to make the playoff before. I think Oklahoma and Texas A&M are both excellent examples of that last year. They were playing their best football at season's end and were kind of left just on the doorstep of the playoff because of early season losses. And I think that would be kind of an opportunity for chaos in the playoff. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I think I'll leave that up to you, but it, it does add some spice to a potential playoff format. I will admit, I have never considered a 10-team playoff when we talk about expansion. It's not something I've thought of, I, but I think it makes a lot of sense, essentially, how you laid it out. The number one and number two seeds would have buys, and then the nine and eight and the seven and 10 would play in a round of 16-ish thing, I guess, would be a way to put it. Yeah, I would refer to it maybe as a play-in game. Okay, Those I like that. Games. Little, yeah. little easier to say on the tongue. When you, when you talk about a 10-team playoff format, how would you lay it out? Yeah, as you mentioned there, top two seeds get a buy, the 8-9 play, 7-10 play, and those two games would be play-in games to play the top two seeds, which have a buy. So, of course, the college football playoff probably wouldn't want to call it the play-in games. They'd probably go, for, hey, it's the first round or the opening round like the college basketball tournament does. But very similar to the 18 field, which once you get to eight teams, the fields are very similar in the way you would go about this. Five automatic bursts to the Power Five champions. You get your top group of five champion in there, one. And then you go for at-large bursts based on the on the rankings. Um, this isn't a situation like the college basketball committee where you just select at-large teams or whatever, and you don't know who's going to go in. These would be based on the rankings that will still be released weekly starting in, say, late October, early November. So, like, as we said, the 2020 season was very weird, but you have some very deserving teams in there, including Georgia and Cincinnati, which would face each other in a play-in game. And as we saw in the Peach Bowl, goodness gracious, what a game. Came down to the final seconds there, and the winner would have to go face number one, Alabama. And then the 7-10 would be Florida at 7 and Oregon at 10. And again, Oregon being the lowest rated Power 5 champion would again be the lowest rated team overall in a 10-team format with Cincinnati 
being ranked ahead of them, but also conference mate Georgia, despite, by the way, you know, Florida, or excuse me, not conference mate, but despite Georgia not winning their conference and or even their division, they're still in the playoffs. So like I was mentioning with Texas A&M, you would have Texas A&M and Georgia, two SEC teams in there that did not win their division, and yet they're in the playoff, and that's rewarding them based on their rankings. Because as you said, A&M and Oklahoma both got hot near the end of the season, ranked fifth and sixth in the college football playoff rankings. They would as much, very much deserve a spot in this type of field. The 12-team format that you laid out is very similar to the 10-team format. The difference is essentially the first four seeds would get a buy in round one, and the other eight teams would play in that play-in style tournament that you talked about to get into the main field. Without kind of focusing too much on that, I'm curious, in every single one of these scenarios, you laid out a best and worst format. Why did you usually consider the worst format to be the scenario which each of the individual group of five champions were also granted automatic births? Why do you think that's not the way to go? Well, one, I I think it from talking to people, the games that people don't believe would be very competitive if you include all the group of five champions in there. I mean, as you mentioned, Ball State would have been in the playoff if we were have a situation like that. And goodness gracious, could you imagine Ball State even going up against Oregon? Or if, say, they even somehow upset Oregon playing number one Alabama, my goodness, talk about boring TV. And that's, listen, we talk about TV. That's what's going to drive this. It's going to be interesting matchups. And producing a playoff format that where we see every conference champion in the FBS getting in is just going to be a no-go. And sure, the group of five commissioners would maybe want that, but even they realize that's not realistic. And certainly the power five commissioners are not going to be on board with that at all. And the only compromise there is to say one top group of five champion. And if your team just so happens to be one of the higher ranked at large teams, they'll be in the playoffs. So I just do not see that. That's a non-starter from the get-go. Yeah. Cinderella doesn't quite have the same kind of feeling in college football as it does in college basketball. It's just like the sports are totally different. The depth charts are totally different. The talent base is totally different. It just doesn't work quite the same way. Before I let you go, Brandon, the eight-team format, I think, works really nicely, or the six-team format works really nicely because you could just essentially have the six New Year's Six Bulls host a game every year. When you think about kind of the layout of this moving forward, and maybe this is too early to speculate, would you assume some of these play-in games maybe happen at a home site or a neutral site, and then they move into kind of the big the New Year's Six games as the host for the uh, later round games? Like, how would you kind of see that work? Yeah, I would think... You know, this hasn't really been discussed, but from what I understand, but the understanding is kind of we are going to have some on-campus games if it's eight or above. I don't think we'll see that with six teams, but if it's eight and above, those first round games, those first games would probably certainly be at home. You're already rewarding the top two seeds with a bye, and so you wouldn't reward them again with a home playoff game, say, in the second round unless it was a bigger format. And as you mentioned, the other big thing here with the money and the bowl system, they're going to want to keep those ties to those six bowl games that are in that rotation already in the current format of the college football playoff. Another thing to consider here is the bowl system as a whole. People are going to talk about how this is going to hurt the bowl system because people aren't going to care about the other bowl games. But in the end, this is my belief, is that, listen, 
if you guys pay attention to this, ESPN owns a lot of the lower tier bowls. They don't just broadcast them. They own and run these bowl games. And all they do it for is to have a television event, a live event on their television networks. It's not to to better the college experience. Um, And if they say that, they're lying and they know that. The idea, I think it's very simple here. ESPN is going to have more college football playoff games and they would make more money off of those than broadcasting, say, the Birmingham Bowl anyway. So all they would do is if they're adding, say, four games or whatever, they would probably just get rid of four games that they already own already and are probably losing money on just for to have live events and they would make more money actually they would actually in the end make more money by having the same amount of games but they would have higher quality games and i think we we've talked a lot about listen you hate football if you don't like all these bowl games at some point we're bubbling this thing out so far where we're letting five win teams into the bowl system during a regular regular year that's got to stop if you want these bowl games to matter, I mean, we talk about the watchability of these things. I mean, no one wants to watch a game on December 19th between a five-win team and a six-win team, especially if they're a group of five teams. It's just the fact of the matter. Even if nothing else is on television at that time. And listen, I think ESPN in a heartbeat, if they actually just look at the numbers, which they're going to do, they're going to go, oh, let's just get rid of these four games that we run and own uh, so we can get extra playoff games, get extra money. It's going to be that simple. And sure, some bowl games will die, but these are not going to be the type of bowl games that have a lot of history. We look at lower tier bowls, even the Sun Bowl, that has a lot of history. You know, the game in Montgomery, Alabama, not so much. And those will be the ones that die. Yeah, I will say I would trade a one versus eight seed at a neutral site for the what is the roofclaim.com Boca Raton Bowl, which will <laughs> which will be on ESPN uh, next next year. So uh, it'll be really interesting times for college football. There's a pretty big date in June when the college football playoff committee will meet. Um, there's no guarantee anything happens there. Uh, especially given how glacially some of this expansion talk has happened over the years, but it's a really fascinating subject to follow. I encourage everybody to go to 247sports.com, read Brandon's article on best case, worst case, what an expanded college football playoff will look like. He lays everything out there, goes into really strong detail. And uh, Brandon, thanks so much for joining us. For Brandon Marcello and myself and our producer, Lance Glenn, this is Chris Hummer with the College Football Daily. Thanks so much for listening. winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.